Hi friends, welcome back to the Grow With Shea podcast. I am so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's episode, I want you to know that you are worthy. There is no timeline and all of your emotions are welcome here. These phrases are part of my custom merch I have available. I launch a new design every other month. So if you're looking for a cool new shirt, a makeup bag for a friend, or lots of other products with custom designs I create, visit stan.store slash growwithshay. Thank you so much for supporting me in this special way. Welcome back to the Grow With Shea podcast. I'm so excited to have you, my friends, here today because I am so excited for my friend Christine to be here. I have been looking forward to this episode since we planned it, actually probably before I even asked you because you know those people that you're like, oh, she's my people. That's how I felt about you, Christine. Like the moment I saw you, I'm like your handle, Barry Godmother. I'm like, that's amazing. And then just seeing all the content and stuff that you put out, I'm like, she's my people and I want to be her friend. And so with that, Christine, welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself and I'll stop fangirling for like a minute, but it'll come back, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shay. I just want to say the feeling is mutual. I'm just like, okay, let me count down to whatever event we're going to be at together so I can get the hug. Yes. I'm hoping that it's going to be the Just Be You Bariatric Award Show. I am hoping it's going to be that. So yes, that means me it's less, too. Than, less than three months away, maybe getting close to two months. A I, yeah. I can't believe it. I know it, this is going to be the first in-person event for bariatric surgery that I've been to ever. So I'm so excited. That is awesome. Oh, I am so happy for you. Yeah. I've gone to one and it was low key. It was this, it was a small event with the uh-huh. OSLP girls. And so it is phenomenal to meet your bariatric family. Yeah. And I really do feel like your family. You're one Agreed. of those people that you just pick up the vibe and immediately it's like, I could talk to this person for hours. Yeah, totally. Oh. So thank you so much for that very sweet welcome. My name is Christine. I I am at barry.godmother on Instagram. I am building up a little bit of um, social media presence in a couple of spots. I don't want to split my energy too many places, too many sure. platforms, because I do have a day job. Oh. I am a part-time director of children's ministry at a Methodist church. And that is has been my career since I was basically in my late teens because I was working at summer camps and things like that when I was in college. So I still love what I do, but it doesn't completely use all of my gifts and talents and skills. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of been on this very long journey, honestly, a lifelong journey to explore how I was created, you know, and the yeah. gifts that I was told weren't gifts. That's been a lot of what I've unpacked and a lot mm-hmm. of that has been connected to my weight journey Mm -hmm. in terms of coping with things that I thought were quote unquote wrong with me Mm -hmm. that I've only discovered in my forties and now early fifties were actually gifts Mm 
and not things to hide or to be ashamed of, even though society, especially in the church, society was telling me and the church was telling me, oh no, you don't rely on your intuition. How can you test that? You know, how do you know that's accurate? Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Oh no, you shouldn't be doing that as a woman. You Mm -hmm. shouldn't be preaching as a woman and Mm -hmm. all of the crazy stuff. Cause if you couldn't tell from the accent, I'm a Southerner. The bulk of my growing up years were in North Carolina. So um, I've never lost the accent. It's been a fun talking point. It's a conversation piece whenever I'm I'm, um, out and about here in the Philadelphia area, which I love. I am Uh a Southerner by heart, but I am a very proud transplant to Philly. I love it in this area. So um, I'm proud of both. See, my my accent that will come out sometimes is my Valley Girl accent. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. And I didn't know that was an accent until I moved to Oregon. And I moved when I was 13. (laughs) And people would make comments like, you sound so like California. And then it made me more aware of it. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I guess I do. So that that still will hop out from time to time of the like and oh, and drawing out. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so I like the Southern accent, though. I think those are fun. People either have two really strong opinions, it feels like, about Southern accents. They either think it's so sweet and so cute. And then they always want to try to guess what Southern state I'm from. Uh which is hilarious because almost nobody (laughs) ever guesses the correct state. Uh They get close sometimes, but unless they've lived in North Carolina Mm -hmm. or had people from North Carolina that they've been around a lot, they don't pick it up. And plus it's a big state. So my family in the mountains of North Carolina have different accents than I do. Uh But it's funny because when I get around other Southerners, it gets really thick. Like my husband was born and raised here in the Philly area. And he said one day around some of our extended family on his side, oh, she doesn't have an accent. And my brother-in-law looked at him and he was like, you've been around her too long. Yes. She's definitely got an accent. And yes. I'm like, I'm proud of it, baby, because then people are disarmed and want to talk to me. Sure. The other end of that spectrum is that people hear the Southern accent and think you're dumb, you're uneducated, mm. you are very conservative politically, yes. you're very conservative theologically, mm. and And one of the things I've rallied against my entire life, even as a kid, Mm -hmm. is busting out of those norms, those expectations, those stereotypes. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a female going into ministry. Deal with it, conservative dudes (laughs) in the South. Oh yeah, I'm a plus size woman, but I still have lots of friends and I don't have to be the dumb fat one just getting a laugh. Deal with it. People like me for me. You know, I'm a Christian. I'm not conservative. I'm a supporter of the LGBTQIA plus community. Deal with it. It. Not all Christians are ultra conservative and judgmental. Yeah. And oh, by the way, babes, let me go at it with you. Scripture per scripture per scripture uh-huh. to tell you why I can support my beliefs. Thank you very much. Yes. So I'm totally just like, I've got tattoos, they're hidden. You know, I'm just like, I want to bust everybody's belief systems about what is normal, what is status quo, because I've always said, don't put God in a box. Yes. Don't put God in a box you know now for me I as far as my belief system yeah I'm a Christian from the south but for me things like God source 
universe, mm-hmm. higher power. Those terms don't bother me because yeah. I've got enough yeah. of a psychology background to understand that a lot of people have got a lot of trauma mm-hmm. because of the languaging that people have used against them when yes. they were growing up or, and whatever. So it's like, I'm not threatened yes. by any of that because to me, God's bigger than all of it. I love it. And I was hoping we would talk about this because in my journey, I grew up Baptist. And so I had even mm. more of a conservative religious upbringing, went to private Christian schools my whole life, all through high school and everything. And everything you're saying, it's like, yes, like it just, it hits home in such a deep way because there's so many things that I was taught the same thing. And I want to hear what you mean by your gifts and the things that you've explored, because those are the things that I was told, you know, oh no, that's what make that's wrong. That's what makes you, you know, of the world or, um, yes. Or, uh, you know, that's you listening to your flesh talking, not, you know, and and that can be kind of triggering words for people who grew up in more of a traumatic religious environment. And even, I mean, that's just infiltrated so much of my life. And so now having a different perspective, I've just had a lot of wild spiritual things happen over, especially in this last year year and a half since having bariatric surgery was actually a catalyst for me in that way. But everything you're saying is just so cool. And I'm in the process of really trying to separate that of like, okay, I understand why I have certain knee jerk responses to things. And a lot of it is because of how I was raised, what I was taught, and I can make a choice to do things differently moving forward. So can you elaborate a little bit more on those things that you now recognize as gifts and just Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I am a highly sensitive person and I've only mm-hmm. very, fairly recently really embraced that title. So what does that mean? Because that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. When I was growing up, I was very sensitive to people's emotions. Yes. So I grew up in a household with a functioning alcoholic dad. Mm-hmm. which I've done a lot of work around to understand now his flaws, his struggles, things of that nature. But mm-hmm. when I was that little kid, I basically loved dad, was starving for his attention, mm-hmm. but was scared of the explosive nature of dad when he could get drunk. Right. Because he, he worked at a federal prison for 20 years, very high stress job. Sure. And he had been a military police officer in the Air Force force for 20 years before that. So he had a long history of stressful law enforcement jobs and he was doing the best he could. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I would cry a lot. And my father was the first one I recall telling me, don't be a crybaby. Mm-hmm. You need to develop a thick skin. And I was told that over and over again by my dad and by others in society. Mm-hmm. I wanted to become a psychologist initially when I was in high school. And I remember my father who had a really good female friend that worked with him. She mm-hmm. was a psychologist there at the prison. And he had me go talk to her because his concern was I was going to take on the mm-hmm. problems and the emotions of clients and not be able to handle that and separate myself from that. And I had that concern too, mainly because he had it, because Mm -hmm. I believed his story about me. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't tough. I was well-liked. I was a good academic. I talked a lot. That was always (laughs) one of the things in the report cards. Christine is a good student, but she talks a lot. (laughs) She can't get her to be quiet in class. (laughs) 
My mother loved it when I got my graduate degrees and went through seminary because she said, oh, you're going to finally get paid to talk. Because That's right. The gift of having that sensitivity to connect with people. I didn't realize it when I was young. I was always that person that like strangers would come up and tell me their problems. Yes. Um, I was always the one that people would say all these deep things to me. And I would say, why are you telling me this? And they would say, well, you just have that faith it feels like I can trust you mm -hmm. or I feel like you'll understand and a lot of times that was great but it felt like a burden it felt yeah. good on the one hand but it felt like a burden it was going in tandem in my middle school years my high school years my college years with weight gain mm -hmm. so to be identified as a person that people liked was always what all of us want during yeah. those formative years and yeah. even as an adult. Mm -hmm. But for me, it wasn't that I was liked for who I was. It was I was liked because I could provide something mm. for someone else because I didn't have the physical beauty, the thin body to mm. be able to be liked for that, mm -hmm. you know, so that whole attention seeking, the male attention seeking, mm -hmm. the wanting the daddy's love and the non-combative dad and the dad mm -hmm. that wasn't drunk and screaming and all that being a sensitive kid it was hard because yeah. I would hide in my bedroom with food mm -hmm. and that was a lot of where disordered eating started mm -hmm. was my mother was the classic enabler mm -hmm. and would always tell me how amazing I was and how much I was loved so I never doubted I was loved in my mm -hmm. household mm -hmm. with my mother but I didn't get the love from my father in the way that my little kid self needed sure and so I continued to try to have the bubbly personality yeah. and be the likable person and, mm -hmm. and always be the girl that all the guys came to, to see how they could get with my friends. Mm. You know, I'd have the crush on the guy and they would like my best friend because she was like the stick figure size two. And I yeah. was like the size 12 or whatever back then, which was probably like an eight now. Right. You right. know, so it kind of all tied in because my giftedness was not seen as giftedness. Oh, you talk too much. Oh, you're too sensitive. Oh, you cry all the time. Mm -hmm. Those are not good things. Mm -hmm. And so that was where I started getting the messages that I wasn't good enough. I yeah. wasn't thin enough. I wasn't pretty enough. My dad wanted a boy, not mm -hmm. a girl to start mm -hmm. with. And he got the boy second. You know, my childhood story was always I was trying to catch up. Yeah. To be, be as good as everybody else, not realizing that I was good enough just as I was. Mm -hmm. And then when I hit puberty and I was developing early, then I yes. got all this attention from guys from men not just boys yes. men mm -hmm. everybody thought I was older than I was I just have to say there is so <laughs> like every single thing you are saying right now is describing my life to a T oh my gosh so just to put it out there like everything you're describing cool. it's like me 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 everything so keep going though but I'm just like sitting oh, here yeah. going oh my gosh so I relate so much <laughs> And that's part of the connection. And that's yeah. part of why putting your story out there is so important is mm -hmm. because there's so many people who have a connection to a piece yeah. of our story 
or who it's like we were living parallel lives on yes. opposite sides of the country 20 mm -hmm. years apart how did right. that happen right well it's part of the common human experience sometimes yeah. because yeah. we all know what it feels like to not feel good enough mm -hmm. regardless of what our physical body looks like mm -hmm. it is always going to be important to feel loved mm -hmm. to feel accepted those are core human needs you know mm -hmm. aside from your physical needs, your emotional needs, your need to be nurtured and to feel that comfort. And that's how so many of us end up with dysfunctional behaviors, whether sure. it's disordered eating or other behaviors that pop up, you know, mm -hmm. is we are seeking ways to fill that hole, right. you know? So I'm happy that we can connect in that way, but I am also sorry that you, you can deeply identify with those things because because I've spent a lifetime trying to figure out how to soothe those wounds. And I figure out different levels of soothing each decade. You know, it, certain things will happen to me in my life. And there's truths that I've learned, wisdom that I've learned. But then when something new happens, the wisdom hits differently. It's kind of like... Yes. A biblical example would be reading a scripture and then 10 years later reading the same scripture and having a completely different understanding of it because your context is different. Or totally. if you see a quote that you loved or you hear a song that you loved 20 years ago and then you see it or hear it again and it's like, whoa, I never got that before. It's because our life experiences have changed our context. Our understanding has changed. I mean, yes. a lot of my understanding has changed as I can look back at my life so far and see how things have happened mm -hmm. that have fallen into place, you know, that I couldn't see at the time because, because none of us can see it at the time. One of my favorite sayings that, that I've told folks for years, especially as a sermon illustration, is we see the snapshot. We can see the picture. And I've been using this illustration since before selfies were a thing. Uh, <laughs> right, right. God sees the entire movie. And if I were to walk up to you and give you 10 random pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, even if they were pieces that all connected in the midst of a thousand piece puzzle, you really wouldn't know what the bigger picture was. Mm -hmm. You'd be able to maybe figure out that there was a piece of a rainbow or a piece of a sailboat or a piece of somebody's head or something like that, mm -hmm. but you wouldn't have the context for it. But once more of the puzzle starts coming together, you can get a better look and go, oh, that was a rainbow. And there's part of the beach that the rainbow is over and you start having meaning. Mm -hmm. You've got those blinders on. Everything feels incredibly massive and extremely important when you're young. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with bariatric surgery. You get those blinders on and everything lives or dies that day by whether or not you hit your water goals and your protein right. goals. Yes. And, oh my gosh, my surgery is coming up and did I hit my goal on the scale? And then eventually the blinders slowly come off. And when mm -hmm. you're in your thirties, you're going, it doesn't matter that I made a D in geometry in 10th grade. That right. didn't really truly impact the trajectory of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It might've impacted whether or not I got into the school I wanted to in college, but you get better perspective. Yeah. If you choose to get, gain that perspective, you have to choose to be open to it. Yes. And part of those gifts that I've discovered over the years that were gifts was I can rely on my gut instinct. Mm -hmm. 
I can rely on what I feel God is telling me because hello, there's this thing called the Holy Spirit that's still here, baby. Yeah. Because that was one of the things that people would always throw at me when I was going through the process two different times in the Presbyterian church Mm -hmm. to discern whether or not I had a calling to be an ordained pastor. Mm -hmm. I had people on those committees ask me, well, how can you tell that it's from God and not from you? How can you tell Mm -hmm. that it's not your desire being superimposed? Mm -hmm. And what I've discovered is through reading the scriptures, through prayer, through asking God for discernment, Mm -hmm. I get little signs of God's direction. Mm -hmm. Do they have to come from the Bible? Oh, hell no. (laughs) I am the person who used to take great pride in the early 90s using Ozzy Osbourne songs as devotionals (laughs) for the youth group because- I love it. (laughs) My whole point was Ozzy had a song called Demon Alcohol, and he was talking about his struggles with his addictions, and he was saying, demon alcohol, don't do it. Uh Now, the question was, can you use that because of look at the source? And I'm like, I'm not worried about the source. I'm worried about the message because my belief is God can use anything. Yep, that's right. Don't put God in a box again. Oh, yes, I'm going to use a Metallica song. Because that's what they were listening to. Yes. That's what they could connect with. Right. And that's how I've always operated. I don't care what the source is. If I'm watching a TV show and I get the goosebumps because something Mm -hmm. connected with me Mm -hmm. and I pray about it. And I know that that was God getting my attention because that's where my attention was at the time through a pop song or through something in the culture. Mm -hmm. Then I'm good with it. God uses everything. God doesn't say it has to have a Christian label on it. It had to come from a worship source. You know, like in the late 80s, early 90s, all the the contemporary Christian music was a big thing. Mm -hmm. And I went to lots of concerts and all of that, all the the big names. Mm -hmm. And there was a big debate. If it's not a Christian book, if it's not a Christian Mm -hmm. artist, then is it okay? And then what happened? The, The media went out and started looking for all the things that all the Christian artists did wrong yeah oh amy grant and vince gill got together but there's divorce there oh my gosh mm-hmm. oh look at this one this one is a, has a porn addiction mm-hmm. oh look this one cheated mm-hmm. on their wife you know and all of a sudden the christian things weren't so christian anymore well and it goes both ways too i grew up in like the early 2000s where it was like that was becoming more popular you know more of those like christianese things of like oh yeah you can only you know, if you read that book or listen to that music, that's of Satan, like don't even go there. It can go the other way too. And that's how I've experienced it of even the Christian things in quotes, right? Has caused a lot of weird damaging things that I'm working through right now. So why couldn't it go both ways, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's so funny because people forget that Christians are human beings and human beings are flawed. Mm -hmm. Part of it too is I think what I've been seeing in this last year, the words that I use, and I say this a lot where I feel like a lot of times we're saying the same things. We're just using different language for it. Yes. But for me, at least what I found, I was 
taught that being a Christian needed to be my identity and who I was before who I, who I was created to be by God. So it was like, number one, I'm a Christian. That's my soul, my main identity. Second to that, I guess like, you know, you can be who God created you to be as long as it fits into that first bucket of being a Christian and what we, the church, we, the school, we, the whatever designate that to be. And so it's Mm -hmm. been interesting unlearning and relearning that of like, no, my identity comes from who I was created to be first, because that's God given. That's what I believe. Yeah. That's God given. Yes. There can be different components to me. Just like I, I don't see me as only a bariatric patient. Like I wouldn't say that that's my sole identity or being a wife. That's not my sole identity. Those are pieces about me and things that I relate to communities I'm a part of, but that's not Shay. That's not who I am. But I think that's where I know I got tripped up. And I think seeing other people that grew up with me in that same timeline of where being a Christian meant that was your identity. It's hard to break out of that because again, there was so much fear of like, oh no, if I don't talk to everybody, you know, talk about Jesus to everybody I come into contact with, it's my fault that they're going to go to hell. And it's like, exactly that. No wonder I think now, you know, it's like, no wonder I feel like my decisions have so much weight and that I have so much control over things. Cause that's what I was taught to believe. So why wouldn't I apply that to my life? <laughs> right. And that is such a misunderstanding of scripture because scripture clearly says that it is the Holy spirit that helps that person right. make that decision. You know, it is not, it's like you can take a person and lead them 99 steps to the front door, but you can't make them go in the house. Right. You know? right. They have to make that choice and that no human has got enough power to make somebody else have that decision. So exactly. who am I to think that I am that important? Yes, I am mm-hmm. the vessel. Yes, I am supposed to be sharing, but there's many ways to share. It doesn't just mean beating people over the head with the Bible or scriptures or whatever. It means living by example, using those times where you can gently bring Jesus or God or scripture into the conversation and lovingly sharing that because otherwise that's fear-based and God is not a fear-based God. God is not a lack-based God. God is an abundant God. God is a loving God. For me, my kids, it's like, what did Jesus say? Here's the two big rules we follow. The two greatest commandments. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everybody. And the problem Mm -hmm. is people don't love themselves. Mm. So to make themselves feel better, they point and choose who they're going to throw the stones at to make themselves feel better. Because, hey, at least I'm following the rules. Yeah. And that's the way we are in the bariatric community, too. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about those toxic Facebook groups of of the weight loss surgery communities. It's not really community. It's Mm -hmm. stone throwing. It's Mm -hmm. policing. It's food Mm -hmm. policing. Because if I'm worried about what you're doing, then I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing. Right. One of the phrases I say it all the time to myself. I say it, you know, on social media all the time. It's like people's reactions and responses are rarely about me. And that's been helpful because like, as you were saying, you know, like that, 
people would just come and talk with you, right? And people would share stuff with you. And you're like, why are you telling me this? That's that's how I've always been as well. And it can be easy to take on those emotions and have them sit on you. But before, I think what the difference was, before I would take those on and that would determine how worthy I thought I was. My worth has been there all along, but now seeing it for the first time that my worth is rooted in who God created me to be. And that's unchangeable. You know, it still stings sometimes if someone says something, especially if it's true, or I did make a mistake, or I did hurt somebody, it's painful. And it doesn't shatter my worth like it used to, because it's in something that's more sustainable, which is helpful. That's where all of my background in psychology and learning about the life coaching and the mindset work has really benefited me in the last Mm -hmm. 10 years, because I have discovered it's still not easy to hear those things. Like you said, especially if they're grounded in truth and especially if it comes from someone who really loves you and is trying to tell you for your own good, Right, that's the hardest thing. However, if we are able to stop and take a breath and let our brain switch from that fight or flight mode that gets activated, if we stop Mm -hmm. and take a few breaths and allow the long path, so to speak, to trigger Mm -hmm. instead of that short path to the mm-hmm. fight or flight neuroscience shows us that it lights up a different part of our brain and then we yes. can stop and we can reframe it and go okay how did that feel that didn't feel good okay what is this experience trying to tell me what can i learn from this experience this is where the growing edges are because then I can look and I can go, is there truth to that? Okay. If there is truth to that, then what do I need to change? Or what is that triggering in me? I mean, there's so many things that we can use that information for good, Mm -hmm. but our brains just, especially in this society where we've got so much stimulation coming at us constantly, our brains are going to go the shortest route possible because Mm -hmm. that's how it works. It's an efficiency issue. Right, right. That's how we've trained our brains unintentionally. Right. So I have learned and I don't always succeed. Even in my marriage, I'll be married 20 years in October. Even in my marriage with this person that knows me better than anybody other than God, I don't always have the capability to stop and go, okay, was there an element of truth to that? And even mm-hmm. if there wasn't an element mm-hmm. of truth to that, What's really going on here? Yes. What's really going on? Are you talking talking to me about this because of something that's triggered in you that we yep. need to talk about? Is it something that I need to look at and mm-hmm. pull the scales from my own eyes and see it? You know, there's so many things, but we mm-hmm. automatically just get defensive. And that's something I've struggled with all my life. That yes. was one of the things I would get criticized for, yes. especially in the one particular church in my early forties where I was a Christian educator for three years. And I was just, I learned so many lessons Mm -hmm. in working in that church for three years. It was the hardest three years of my life, harder than many other losses and, and deaths and, and breakups and all of that. It was the hardest three years of my life, but I wouldn't change it because I have learned so many amazing things. And I've got so many amazing people in my life because of that time Mm -hmm. there. That was the place 
three years in a church in the Midwest where I really had God showing me, hey, I've got you through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did call you here for this. Mm-hmm. I didn't call you for the reasons you thought. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you were called because you had a whole bunch of things you needed to learn. Because mm-hmm. I was at a point in my career where I was like, I got two master's degrees. I got this many years of experience. They handpicked me because they said they wanted X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to do X, Y, and Z with them. But what happened was when I started doing X, Y, and Z, they weren't prepared for X, Y, and Z. They yeah. thought they wanted it, yeah, but they weren't prepared. It's kind of like when we go and say, we want weight loss surgery. And then we weren't prepared for all the work that really comes from yep. doing, you know, yep. the aftermath of weight loss surgery. And nobody could have known that. And mm-hmm. so I never will forget, I had been devastated in a staff. It wasn't a full staff meeting. It was an evaluation. Mm-hmm. And there were some things that had been brought up to me that had happened like six months prior and nobody brought them up to me. My boss didn't bring them up to me. Mm-hmm. And it was completely different than what my perception was of mm-hmm. how things had played out and what other people were telling me. People were telling me one thing to my face, but then going behind my back. Mm-hmm. And it really, really gutted me because these mm-hmm. were people that I trusted and worked with and thought that we were a team. And especially and my when intention- when you're used to being able able to read people. I, I know that you're good at that. I, yes. So it's also, again, I'm projecting a bit because this is how I would feel. It's like a double failure in that way of like, how did I not pick up on this? What was yes. wrong with me that I missed this? Because I would normally not miss this, right? Absolutely. You are, you hit the nail on the head, girlfriend, because that was exactly <laughs> it. And yeah. then on top of that, I felt abandoned because mm-hmm. I had worked so hard to build these relationships. And then I felt like everybody fell away and was not only falling away, but that they were the ones holding the stake to drive through my heart kind of feeling, you know? Yeah. And so I was really devastated. And there had been a number of months with experiences that were challenging. And this was just like the culmination of it all. And I had gone to a spirituality retreat. It was a silent retreat. And I had not really been Mm -hmm. to one of those prior. And I went to this retreat and we got to meet with spiritual directors. And that was the only time during the weekend that we talked. And so I had met with this one amazing, woman who was a spiritual director. Her name was Kathleen. And that started a monthly relationship of me going and having visitations with her. And that was something my church job paid for in my perks at the time. And so I started doing these monthly meetings with her. And I remember sitting in Kathleen's office one day, just in tears going, I just don't understand it. My boss had come to me with a paper that said, instead of saying this, say this, instead of doing this, do this. It was like Mm. picking apart line by line everything that I had prided myself on with my experience, Mm. with my education, and really at the core of who I had been all my life. And I just was like, what is happening? I've never, ever had this experience anywhere. I was always able to resurrect dead programs. I was always Mm. able to draw in people and train people and be high energy and have people want to be a part of what we were building. Mm. And this was just like totally opposite. And I sat there and I just cried and she looked at me and I just said, look, I just feel like I'm too sensitive. I can't not cry Mm. in these meetings. I just feel so personally attacked. I just don't understand. I just don't know who I am anymore. And she looked me square in 
in the face and she said, Christine, the things that you think are your greatest detriments are also your greatest assets. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why people connect with you. There's a reason why people want to be in your energy. There's a reason why people gravitate to you. Mm -hmm. So if you weren't this sensitive person, you wouldn't be able Mm -hmm. to empathize with them. Mm -hmm. And that's what people are hungry for. Mm -hmm. And so I never forgot those words. And from then on, I started viewing these sensitivities differently Mm -hmm. and started exploring once I was away from that job and moved back to the East Coast, started truly exploring who am I really? Because I had done some of the who am I really when my children were little and I didn't work in a church while my husband was in the Air Force Mm -hmm. because I really didn't have the opportunities. I didn't have churches close and Mm -hmm. he would have crazy hours and then all of a sudden he's deployed for three months and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden he's got to get on a plane and go to Germany to fix an aircraft and just all this crazy Mm -hmm. chaotic stuff with two little kids in the house. And so I was lost. Who am I without my identity? I went Mm -hmm. and got two master's degrees. I've got the student loans to prove it. Who am I sitting here as a stay-at-home mom who's five to Mm ten years older than all the other moms on base? I'm in my late 30s and they're all in their early 20s, mid 20s, and I didn't connect with anybody. Mm -hmm. And who am I? Mm -hmm. I was back in that place again in my 40s. Who am I? Mm -hmm. And the version of Christine that you all experience today is because of all of that hardship that I Mm -hmm. went through, especially those three years. I'm glad that I had the guts to tell my husband two years in, we have got to make a one-year plan to get out of here. Mm -hmm. He was a student. He was using Mm -hmm. his GI Bill. We had two little kids. I was not making a ton of money, but I was making enough. And so it was like, I was the sole breadwinner and I'm going, my physical, mental, and emotional health cannot handle this Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. We have to do something. And we had just bought our first house. Mm -hmm. a year prior. Mm -hmm. And everybody outside was saying, oh my gosh, you're going to lose your shirt if you sell a house a year, you know, like two, three years in. We broke even. God was telling me, yes, I've got you. You got to trust me. Mm -hmm. We broke even. We didn't lose anything on that house. The perfect buyer showed up. It was the perfect setting for her. She was an all cash buyer. I mean, it was just like, I've got story after story after story that I could come back to people and say in the most miserable times of my life, life, things happen. And I know it was God's provision. And I got to where the more that I decided to listen to what I felt Mm -hmm. was right, Mm -hmm. what I felt I was discerning God was telling me to do every time I followed that, whether or not it was the smart thing to do by worldly Mm -hmm. standards, every time God has provided God has gotten us through and God has given us a better situation, a better job, a better house, a better financial picture mm-hmm. than we had prior. Because yeah. we weren't trying to do it on our abilities. We were trusting in God. And it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not easy because we want to be able to know how we're putting money in that bank account. We want to know how we're going to pay for that car payment. We want to know how we're going to find that job when we're unemployed. My husband was unemployed for almost a full year during the pandemic, 50 out of 52 weeks. I walked into my church one day, part-time job. We were scraping by, but we were still scraping. We hadn't gotten buried. I walked into my church one day. The office administrator says to me, hey, Christine, I've got something for you. She hands me an envelope 
I was told that this was a an anonymous donation from someone and that I wasn't supposed to say anything. I walked up to my office, I sat down and I opened up a check for $10,000. Wow. I kid you not. $10,000. I paid off all the debt that was worrying me. It wasn't all the debt we had, but like mm-hmm. our cars were paid off already mm-hmm. and things like that. And I had some bills that were worrying me that were the extra that I had to scrape for every week mm-hmm. or every month. $10,000. I couldn't believe it. I would have never been able to predict that right. ever, mm-hmm. but I kept trusting God. It's like, do I go find a better job? Well, how am I going to find a better job? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, God, I'm trusting you. Mm-hmm. But I I've learned in this year is like that humility is so key. Like I was never one to ask for help. And I always played more of that martyr mentality of, you know, helping everybody else. I can't focus on myself. I can't accept anything from anybody. I'm always the one giving. And then I'd be resentful about giving because I was always the one doing it, but then wouldn't be asking for help. And there is a level of humility that needs to be there in order, I think, for benefits to be received in that way. What are your thoughts about that? Because I know even just hearing you say this, I know this wasn't your intent with it. It just made me think about people that I know or that have been in my life that use that excuse of like, oh, well, God will just take care of it. Like I'll, God will figure it out, saying it in the way of like, I don't have to do anything because God will do it. What are your thoughts on that? It reminds me of the very old joke I used to use in sermons early on of the floodwaters rising and there's this guy stuck on his roof and there's a couple of guys that go by in a little rowboat and they're like, dude, come on, come on. We're going to save you. Come on, get in the boat. And he's like, no, 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 no. I trust God. God's going to save me. You guys go ahead, help somebody else. And then the floodwaters rise some more. And then a bigger power boat comes up and they do the same thing. Dude, come on. You know, we're, we're here to help you. The waters are rising. He's like, no, 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 that's okay. God will save me. And then finally the waters are almost up to the very top of the roof. And he's up there, got not a lot of room. And a helicopter comes over from the Coast Guard and they want to drop down one of the baskets for him to get in. He's like, no, 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 no. Go help somebody who needs it. God's going to save me. So the dude drowns and dies and he gets to heaven. And he's like, God, I don't understand. You told me that you you would always provide for me, but here I am dead. I wasn't supposed to die. And God's like, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What more did you want? Hello? We don't see it as the other people's working as God's instruments as well. Yeah. For me, I think it's going to be a different way or I put expectations that if I don't get the help in this specific way, then I don't want to do it. Right. Like that's where my stubbornness will come in. And that's like, even with bariatric surgery at first, when I looked into it, it's like, okay, all these other things I've tried haven't been working physically for me, but no, I couldn't do bariatric surgery because that's not (laughs) like, I want help, but not like that kind of help. Like I'm not 600 pounds yet. So bariatric surgery wouldn't be the right fit for me, you know? And it's that stubbornness of like, just because that's not what I thought. And this is where I get emotional every time because I would have never thought that making that one decision would lead to all that it has. Us talking right now, you know, sharing my story in a public way. It's just funny how resistant I was to it. And I thought it was going to just be I'll lose weight and I'll be physically healthy. And I was good with that. That's what I was expecting and and excited about. But then it's like, oh my gosh, there's just so much more. And I could have never imagined it. I could, even if I was given like, hey, what do you want the most perfect outcome to be? I could have never even thought up something like this. It's just wild. Yep. 
Yep. And my heart goes out to you because you said two key words. I thought, right. I thought we limit ourselves by what we think we know, because we are only seeing that snapshot. We can't see the 50,000 other ways that life, God, whatever can work things out for us. Right. And we limit ourselves to our finite knowledge Mm -hmm. of our wisdom, our experiences, all of that. That's the lesson for all of us, regardless of what journey we're on, what our religious beliefs or lack thereof are, whatever. You can chalk it up to God, to universe, law of attraction, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. If we're just looking at it and wanting it to be the way we think it should Mm -hmm. be, we are so limiting ourselves and we are limiting those opportunities. We are Mm -hmm. putting ourselves in the box. We are putting the lid on. We're super gluing it from the inside and Mm -hmm. saying, if it's not like this, it's not good enough. Yeah. Well, guess what? It can be so much better than we can ever imagine if we just take the lid off the box and allow ourselves to breathe and be open to it. Right. And that's exactly how it is with so many things in our lives, whether it's bariatric surgery, whether or not it's jobs or whatever. Would I have ever in a million years dreamed up a $10,000 check just anonymously appearing at my work? (laughs) No. Sounds too good to be true, right? Like It's like, how does that happen to? Right. But when you start having those experiences and you choose to look back upon those experiences and you can see that wasn't just one thing that happened that didn't turn out the way I thought it would. There's this thing and then there's this thing. And wow, having surgery led me to meeting all these people. Surgery led me to doing two podcasts. Surgery led me to looking at this whole other life outside of myself because I was willing to get my head out of the box. And the imagery I picture all the time is a river. And for so long, it's like I was holding onto branches, not wanting to move with it or paddling, you know, up against the current and it's been the scariest thing to let go but man it's been so nice and peaceful and God's been doing all of it like I can just let go because I'm going with the current now and again it's scary because it's like oh I don't know where it's gonna lead I don't know where it's going there's a couple sticks that have hit me right up the butt at you know different times (laughs) and it's like oh I don't have to try so hard I think that's the biggest thing I get to just be present and it's scary and it was intense at first but oh, the peace that I feel now, there's so many things I would sacrifice before that. I won't sacrifice this again. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, and I'm an imagery person as well. And I could tell that. Connected. Yeah. And I get imagery in my brain a lot. I do I too. call them divine downloads. Oh, my I love divine it. Downloads. My divine downloads are amazing because they give me so much insight. Well, and you know, there's biblical precedents for that too, because people would yeah. have dreams and mm-hmm. visions and things. But it's interesting because when you're talking about the holding on to the branches, with the water going by, there's a false sense of security because you think yes. you're you're holding on and you're staying in the same place and you're stable. But stop and think about how much energy you have to put out mm-hmm. to fight the current, to hold on. There's literally physical resistance. There's physics involved with that. Mm-hmm. And with our bodies, it's the same thing. It's a mental struggle. Mm-hmm. When we are just trying to hold on, once again, it's that illusion of we have control we're gonna hold on 
because we think we're making everything stay the same and therefore we're safe. It's literally our brain's response that even if we're in the midst of stuff that doesn't feel good or isn't good for us, our brain's job is to keep us safe, Mm -hmm. not to have us grow emotionally, not to become enlightened or any of that. Our brain's job is to keep us safe. So we Mm -hmm. will continue to live. That's the extent of our brain's job. And so we're holding on and expending all that energy, resisting instead of letting go and then mm-hmm. flowing with it because you're going to see the same things if you're just staying on that part of the river right. hanging on you're going to keep seeing the branches you're going to occasionally see something else float by mm-hmm. but you're not going to get to see the rest of the river mm-hmm. you're not going to get to experience other things on the river you're right. not going to potentially be rescued mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you're not potentially going to meet some cool dudes you know yeah or some cool ladies and and have something to talk about about your shared experience forever you know it's like there's so many things that we try to do to control our environment because we think or have the illusion to control right that's exactly i thought i had a lot more control than i than i had but now it's like just being an acceptance of like oh actually there are some things I can control or try to control but i don't really have a lot of control of, of much (laughs) Right. Well, and it's interesting because you were talking about the wanting to help others, but not accept the help. Yes. I learned, especially on my bariatric surgery journey, very early on, I had a major reframe. God kind of laid a divine download, smacked me upside the head with it because Mm -hmm. I didn't have choice because I had surgery. And then a month later, I had a pretty severe stricture Mm -hmm. and I was very sick and I had a whole bunch of health issues for several months because of that. And I literally could not unload the dishwasher. I couldn't do a variety of basic things. And I had to rely upon my family and my folks at my church that I was working at at the time. And everybody was totally capable of covering things. And on top of that, they wanted to. Because mm-hmm. you know how like something happens, somebody gets sick, somebody dies, everybody's like, how can we help? What can we do? Mm-hmm. And you don't really have any answers for them. Give them something to do. Yes. I was able to delegate things and I realized all those years I was the same as you're talking about where I was fine with giving the help, Mm -hmm. but I had a hard time receiving the help. I thought that meant something about me. Who am Mm -hmm. I to need the help? Mm -hmm. I can't do it on my own. I made it all this crazy story. I realized if I don't accept the help that I legitimately need, I am robbing them of the joy of giving me the help. And that reframe went a long ways towards making me feel okay about accepting the help that I needed. And ever since then, I have decided, okay, if somebody offers to help, is there a way for me to find something for them to help with? Because that's going to help them feel better. Mm-hmm. And then it helps me as well. But boy, especially as females, I mean, I've definitely known some caretaker males, but in females, a lot of us struggle with this. Yeah. You know, yeah. we yeah. always want to yeah. give, 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 and then we burn ourselves out. And then we're ticked off that other people don't want to help. Yeah. But we've taught them how to treat us because we've always been it's... the one who said, no, I don't need any help. I'm good. Yeah. And then we're it's... mad that they're not operating. And it's like, hello. Yeah. It's so true. And that's something that has felt so <laughs> 
nice. And this last year, I just, I was living with so much resentment all the time towards everybody in some type of way, because that's exactly it. It's like, I would give, give, give. But again, what I trace it back to for myself, I wasn't giving because I wanted to. It's because it was transactional. I was trying to get validation more so that I was a worthy person getting praise, you know, oh, Shay, thank you for helping that. You're such a cool person, da, 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 da. But then what's hard is after bariatric surgery, again, I, I really see that as kind of the catalyst for a lot of growth in my life. Apparently my stomach was really holding me back for all those years. <laughs> I made a conscious decision and I haven't held to it every single time, but I've really tried hard to, is that I will only give what I'm willing to give with nothing in, in return. And it's okay to not offer things if I don't want to, or I feel like I don't have the capacity to, and I'm not seeking that validation and worth anymore. The only reason now that I do things for other people is because I genuinely want to. And so sometimes that means I genuinely don't want to, or feel like I can't. And so I don't, but there used to be lies that would come up of like, oh, but if you don't do that for that person, then they're going to think you're a horrible person. And then you're worthless. And that emotional detachment is going to happen, all this stuff. And that has happened with some relationships and people where when I started having those boundaries of this is all that I can give or I, and, and it might not be anything that I can give. It just made it very clear who were safe people and who weren't. And that was a painful experience and process because it's yeah. like, oh, that's not how I would choose for that relationship to go and be. But now everybody that is close in my life, I feel really safe and comfortable if I'm like, hey, I'm kind of tapped out today. I know we had plans to go do this, but like, I'm tired. I need rest. I don't feel guilty about that anymore. And that feels so nice. Yeah. And I am so proud of you for figuring that out, especially as young as you are, Thank because you. a lot of people never figure that out in their lifetimes. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't have the self-awareness and the desire to go and seek out that kind of insight, whether it's through reading books or going and listening to podcasts or whatever. You have to make that choice to become self-aware. It doesn't mm -hmm. just happen. Mm -hmm. And when you start becoming self-aware, the amazing thing is more insights show up. They're not always the insights we want or that we like, mm -hmm. but if we decide that those are insights and that they are just information, that there's nothing good or bad inherently about that information, mm -hmm. then you can take it as we do in the bariatric surgery community mm -hmm. when we're tracking things, it's data points. Mm -hmm. You know, you're looking at what the information is and if you can remove yourself enough from that emotionally, that data is extremely valuable because we create a lot of our own misery. Yes. We create our own misery because we do things on autopilot that we're not aware of. And then we create situations that are challenging for us. And then we feel bad if we honor our feelings in mm -hmm. those situations. Mm -hmm. I've had to learn this a lot through my professional career in terms of the information I put out, the way that I put it out, the way that I ask for people to respond to it has mm -hmm. shifted dramatically over the years. And it's got nothing to do with the technological advances. It's got to do with me figuring out what works and what doesn't work, what adds stress to my life versus what minimizes stress, mm -hmm. what is able to be streamlined. I have learned how to say no because a lot of us 
don't know how to say no. And then we put ourselves in that situation of feeling resentful. We drain ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've still got moms and probably some dads, but especially some moms who are running in 50 different directions. They feel like they've got to say yes to every volunteer opportunity. And I'm like, you're not doing yourself or your family any favors Mm -hmm. by saying yes to everything. Mm -hmm. What feels good to say yes to? Mm -hmm. Because if you're committing to all of them, you can't really perform optimally at any of them right pick the stuff you like pick the stuff that makes you feel good pick the stuff you're excited about Mm -hmm. pick the stuff that's meaningful to you Mm -hmm. and then everything else you can just kindly say I really appreciate you thinking of me but I can't really do that right now that doesn't fit into my schedule or that doesn't fit into where I'm at you know you can figure out a way to finesse the wording Mm -hmm. but the essence of it is there you have to self-protect and especially for those of us who are sensitive to other people's energy who do get rained easily Mm -hmm. you really have to guard Mm -hmm. your time Mm -hmm. and protect it Mm -hmm. you have to block it out sometimes on a calendar yeah you know that's what I've been in this season of learning because I have a full-time day job that I do that is flexible luckily for the most part but it's a lot of work just in that and then I'm you know branching out into this content creation sharing what this beautiful thing that it's becoming and in the past I would have just sacrificed myself to the point of burning out and that's why certain projects or ventures that I I've launched into in the past have been really hard and I've gotten burned out really quick because it was coming from a very self-sacrificial place. So one of the small ways that I've noticed in this season, my day job is Monday through Friday. And in the past, I was kind of more open to like, oh yeah, the weekends will be more for like this new career, this new thing that I'm doing. And now that's just not working for me. I really need my weekends to decompress. I'll do some social media stuff if I feel like it, but I don't do much and I don't have my day job. So there's been a few situations that have come up recently that's been more in that content creation realm where in the past I would have just said yes, yes, yes when it came to the weekends. And I've had to make a couple of tough decisions where I've gone, I know I'm not going to show up in the best way if I do that. My need here is I need my weekends to be open. And unfortunately, that sometimes means saying no to certain things. And it's so hard because I want to do it all. I have fun but I know that it won't serve me in the long run, but it's hard to practice that. It's one thing to say it and go, yeah, take care of your needs. But then in practical ways like that, it's like, oh, this is so hard though. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Well, and here's the thing too, you know, I'm 54, just turned 54. And it's one thing for me to say, here's what I've learned over all these years. But the context of the things that I was dealing with in my 20s and 30s is different than your generation. So it's Mm -hmm. incredibly important for people who are your peers to see Mm -hmm. you modeling this. Yes. Yeah, you can talk about it, but it's important to model it because Mm -hmm. then they can see, hey, wait a minute, this is something that's important. And here's some of my peers who are doing this. I want that too. I mean, that was one of the gifts of the pandemic. We've Mm -hmm. talked about this a lot at our church in terms of like other staff and such. Everybody had a hard stop. Mm -hmm. And I work in a, a church where there's a lot of people who are very affluent or are upper middle class, that mm-hmm. type of thing. They're doing a lot of the typical, the kids are all in five different activities mm-hmm. and they've 
got all the vacations and they've got all the work travel and all these things. So they're scattered. They are running around crazy Mm -hmm. and they want to give their kids the best education. They want to give their kids the most enriched childhood in terms of their extracurricular activities, but they're killing themselves doing it. And so when the pandemic hit, a lot of them were like, oh my gosh, after they got over the initial, oh great, what do I do with these children in my house, you Mm -hmm. know, during the day? Mm -hmm. A lot of them after a couple of months went, you know what? This feels really good to not be running around to all these activities. And then all the school things after school, Mm -hmm. you know, like in the evenings for special events and whatever. And when I'm doing my programming for children's ministry, I try to not add to the Mm -hmm. load on people in terms of like around the holidays. I'm not trying to do all the special admin things because people have got so many other things that their time commitments are already stressing them Mm -hmm. you know so I don't want to contribute to that even if it's an expectation Mm -hmm. on some people's part but the thing about it is it's like people learned it for a minute but then as soon as things started kind of opening up again they went right back to their old habits it's kind of like us in the weight loss surgery community where we change our habits because we have to in Mm -hmm. the beginning it's restrictive but then slowly the body goes can tolerate this you can do this yeah you can figure out those cheats those workarounds those slider foods those eating more frequently all of that and then we go right back into our old habits again Mm -hmm. and I hate that for all those folks who have over scheduled themselves again because it's like you had a clean slate I know you didn't have to go back and say yes to everything you said you learned the lesson but you're not implementing it and so you're back to being crazy and frazzled and stressed I've seen it again this school year yeah so you know there's a lesson there totally if I had to sum it up for why I'm venturing into this new career path there's a lot of different reasons but if I had to sum it up it's so that way I can have peace and work with myself in the timeline that I want to work with and so what I mean by that is I want to have kiddos and I want to have the flexibility to be able to participate in their lives and not have to worry about trying to make up an excuse for, you know, a boss or a company of like, oh, I need to take a sick day because I'm I'm not feeling good when really it's like I just had a really emotional day the day before and I just need time. I want to do things differently for myself in that way. And I want to be part of the change to offer that to other people too. I just had a friend who was saying, you know, this meeting's running late and I have to go pick up my kid and now I have to, you know, scramble to try to get somebody to go pick her up because this meeting went late and I don't feel safe enough or comfortable to tell my boss that the reason I need to leave early is because I need to go pick up my kiddo. She's one on my list that I I want her to work with me, you know, when I get to that point. But I'm like, if that was me, I would just want you to say, hey, I got to dip out. I got to go get my kid and, you know, let me know what I miss. And I want to provide that safe place for other people. And so when that, those pressures come in of like, I need to do more, I need to sacrifice myself. It's like, no, that's the whole point of getting out of that corporate standard culture to break into this new one for not only for myself, but to offer it for other people. And so I have to model that now, like you're saying, while it's still small. So that way, when it gets bigger and there's more, you know, sacrifices and things, that's really important to me. And it just feels good, honestly, to say that out loud. I don't think I've said that out loud to anybody. That feels nice to say that. When my youngest was in elementary school, we live in a school district currently where the school was close 
enough that they didn't provide busing. And so even though the youngest had a big brother that would be home, we had no way to get her home. Mm -hmm. And so I went through that. I wasn't working in a corporate job, but I was working in a job with hard hours. But there were times when something would happen. I was working at a senior center. And so, for example, if somebody didn't get picked up by Mm -hmm. closing time and we're still waiting around going, well, where's this person's ride? I couldn't just leave them to go pick up my second grader. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was really stressful because it was a, like a 45 minute commute. And if there mm-hmm. was something happening with traffic, I would be late more than once. I was mm-hmm. calling the school going, I'm on my way, I'm stuck. And mm-hmm. whoever the last staff person was would get stuck waiting with my kid. And it, it was very stressful. Mm-hmm. Anytime the kid was sick and then I had to stay home because they were too young to be on home on their own and all of that. My current job is very much flexible, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason I'm working part-time. Now I understand I am privileged in that I am able to work part-time. I get Mm -hmm. paid well for my part-time work because of my experience and my degrees and not everybody has that option. But when it came down to it, I could look at a full-time job or I could look at a part-time job that felt right and wasn't going to pay me as much and has Mm -hmm. no benefits. However, it offered me that time flexibility. And Mm -hmm. for me, in my unique situation, that was worth more financially to me. and mental health wise than going and finding a full-time job where I'd be restricted like you're Mm -hmm. talking about so there's a lot of value to that you know Mm -hmm. and a lot of folks just look at the at the paycheck or the benefits and go how much is this and how you know Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I've learned the hard way over the years as well to not take a job just because of the money because it will burn you out if it's not what you're aligned with and where you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. and it's okay to change jobs it's okay to change careers I don't care how old you are if you're not fulfilled if you're not Mm -hmm. feeling good about the work you're doing then it's okay to shift gears. I don't care how many degrees you've got, how much you still owe in student loans. It is not worth sacrificing your soul for no. a job. Again, back it to isn't. that piece, back to that piece, yeah. right? There's so many things Absolutely. that I would forego besides peace. Absolutely. Well, you know, bringing it back just briefly to that three years at the church where mm-hmm. I was miserable, I had more health problems in those three years yeah. than I had had any other place. And it was a symptom of what was happening with mm-hmm. me mentally and emotionally. And I was morbidly obese, which did not help because that was pre-op. But even so, most of what was happening was not related right. to my weight. Right. And that was something I didn't clue into at the time. It was yeah. only through those experiences that I realized, well, wait a minute. Now looking back, I can really see how that impacted me. So yeah. I have learned that the, that is a form of currency as well. Your mm-hmm. energy is a form of currency. Your attention is a form of currency. And quite honestly, your contentment and your satisfaction levels can to certain extent be a form of currency because those are all factored into your quality of life. You know, we have weight loss surgery to improve our health and our quality of life for whatever that looks like, but it makes a huge difference. You know, Mm -hmm. I'd rather have quality of life than quantity of life. If it means being miserable. (laughs) It's true. No, it's so true. 
I feel like before surgery, I felt like more of just a floating head again, more retrospectively, I can say that in the time I didn't connect that after having surgery, it was the first time that I was actually like fully connected to my body, which was an intense experience. Does that resonate at all with you? Is that how it was yes. with you? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because I was basically obese on and off since childhood. You know, I yes. got put on my first diet at age two. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't truly morbidly obese until I was in my twenties. Mm-hmm. And I did, I just felt like, who am I? Who am I did not include whatever was happening with my physical body. I was a large person. Mm-hmm. I was a size 24. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had all the horror stories of breaking chairs in public and all the different things that you hear about in the weight loss surgery community. I've done them in other countries, nonetheless, which is mm-hmm. really mortifying. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was always, it's about my personality. You know, like people mm-hmm. would say, oh, we love Christine. She's so sweet. She's so kind. She's such a good listener. Da, 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 da. It was never, oh, look at Christine. She's cute. I didn't get the, you've got a pretty face like some of the folks that mm-hmm. I've talked to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was wearing things that were just functional because sure. I couldn't find things that really expressed my personality, mm-hmm. which is very colorful and whimsical. If a 10 year old would like it, I probably like it. You know? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Are you a tie dye person? Like you like colorful and I absolutely. Yeah. I'll my be kind shirts. I've got like three be kind yes. shirts and they're all the tie dye shirts. Yes. Funny because in the community, I've heard people talk about how they didn't feel as big as they saw themselves to be in their pictures. Mm-hmm. It's like I fluctuated back and forth with that. It was mm-hmm. like certain times I knew my personality exuded a smaller body, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't feel like the outside reflected what was inside. Yes, and so there was a disconnect. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember my best friend, he's been my best friend for like 35 years, one of my camp buddies. I remember him at one time, we were probably in our late 20s. So I was, I was well over 300 pounds at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying to me, you don't seem to act like you are as large as you are. Mm-hmm. And that really crushed me mm-hmm. because he was real weight sensitive. That was one of my little rubbing points. He has matured. He's not mm-hmm. like that anymore. He used mm-hmm. to be a little fat phobic and I used to give him grief about it. But I just was like crushed because here was somebody who knew me so well. Yeah. And at that point had known me for over 10 years. And I was like, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. What does somebody who's that big act like mm-hmm. anyway? Because mm-hmm. my my introduction to bariatric surgery was my college roommate who was very morbidly obese who passed away. Mm. She was five foot tall and weighed over 400 pounds. She mm. come from a real strict religious background in Eastern North Carolina. Eight, 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 you know, it was just really bad situation. Had done like a lot of us, tried every diet, couldn't, you know, there was a lot of psychological stuff going on uh, there as well as some physical uh, stuff. And for two years, she tried to get gastric bypass. I'd never heard of it. And this was mm-hmm. in the late 1980s. Mm-hmm. And after two years, her dad's insurance approved it. And then six months after she got surgery, she had lost 150 pounds and she died in her sleep. And they said her organs couldn't handle that much weight loss. Now that was in the early days of surgery when it was full open surgery, not laparoscopic and all that. I would think about what did being morbidly obese, what, what did that act like? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I saw her as she's morbidly obese. She was my friend who liked cool music. Like I liked, who had a good sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Like I, 
I had was a sticker fiend like I was. You know, there was a lot of things like she and I went through so much together and I was a fierce defender of her out in public because people would be cruel. Yeah. And I was like, well, what does society think morbidly obese acts like anyway? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that was a thing that never even occurred to me yeah. I was just always I'm the friendly person I'm the bubbly person and so when I look back at pictures of me I mm-hmm. am sad because yeah. there were a lot of years that there was a lot of pain a lot of sadness mm-hmm. a lot of misunderstanding about myself yes. that I hadn't unpacked yet yeah I finally feel like the outside reflects what's inside I'm mm-hmm. a size 14 mm-hmm. I never hit my goal weight I'm okay I've got PCOS I got mm-hmm. insulin resistance you know but life at more than a hundred pounds less than all of my 20s and 30s mm-hmm. and 40s were mm-hmm. is great I had a friend ask me last week I was telling him about my stricture and he said so knowing what you know now would you do it again Mm-hmm. I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would go through that misery for six months. I'd go yeah. through 18 months yeah. of hair loss. Mm-hmm. I would go through all of that because it was worth it for the quality of life that I have right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. I still got Bertha and Betty, my <laughs> upper and lower tummy rolls, <laughs> but I can walk into a store and buy clothes off the rack if I want to. Yeah. I have too many choices now. Yeah. You know, I yeah. can walk up a flight of stairs. I have decreased my, my mm-hmm. disease rate risks very very Mm -hmm. substantially Mm -hmm. and I just like this imperfect lumpy scarred body that I'm in you know it it's taken me to multiple continents it's birthed two children it's walked me down my aisle on my wedding day with that Mm -hmm. best friend you know it's done a lot of things it's cried it's laughed it has done so many things for me and I don't want to take that for granted. I had a friend at my first church after seminary down in Florida who was a young woman, but she had some some significant health issues, chronic diseases she was born with. She had no legs and she had one hand and she didn't have a lot of use of her hand. But her other arm did was born basically with a stump. Mm-hmm. And her name was Celine. She did so much in that nursing home that she lived in. It was like she was a light. She was 30 mm-hmm. to 40 years younger than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anytime when I was morbidly obese, anytime I was feeling sorry for myself, I would think about what Celine wouldn't give to have my two legs and mm-hmm. my two arms and my hands mm-hmm. and have the freedom to get in the car and drive wherever she wanted. She was in a little scooter and she'd ride her scooter across the street to the super Walmart that was Mm -hmm. across the street. She did what she could with what she had. Yeah. You know, and that's how I equate it. Whatever this physical apparatus looks like, Mm -hmm. baby, I'm going to do the most with it. I'm going to do the best with what I've got. Yeah. You know, I mean, I might not be climbing mountains, but that's okay. That's not something I value. Yeah. I don't know if I'm hearing this right, but I wonder if your sentiment is the same. Like, it's interesting when I hear people say like, oh, I'm a brand new person after having weight loss surgery. And I do believe that is some people's experiences. For me, it's felt just like a homecoming of settling back into like, oh, yes, this is who I've always been. It's just been a while since it's been showing on the outside in this way. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I've heard of some people saying, oh, I took off the fat suit and now here's the real me. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was still a progression, even Mm -hmm. when I hit the weight that I'm currently at, you know, or the low weight and all 
the things that we attach mm-hmm. value to. For me, that was just step one mm-hmm. of the outside matching the inside. Yes. Because what I didn't realize was step one revealed the old me in mm-hmm. terms of like who I thought I was and how I presented myself mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. There were some more steps that have led me where I am now totally. because I am so much more confident now than I was when I hit my lowest weight. I know mm-hmm. so much more about who I really feel called to be mm-hmm. and how to live into that authentically mm-hmm. than I did five years ago when I hit my lowest weight. Mm-hmm. You know, so I do understand that feeling of a, a new person being born. Mm-hmm. But you know what? When we're born, that's just step one. Then, right. we're, then we have right. to continue to grow up. You know, the work yeah. never ends. Yeah. Uh, no, it's or so if true. it ends, that means you're stagnant. <laughs> yep. Yep. Nope. It's so true. One other piece of imagery that I had a friend tell me that I think you'll like too, especially because you're an imagery type person, or that's how, you know, God talks with you. She's someone who works with me at my day job and we've worked together for eight years. So we've, you know, been with each other through a lot and she's a friend more than a coworker. And she was saying, she's like, you know, when I first met you, you were like a light bright, like just this, like these bright neon lights. And she's like, you were just very bright. She's like, it's been cool to watch the transition though, where you went from this kind of artificial bright light to now you look more like a window. Some days, you know, where maybe it's a bit more gloomy, maybe it's more rainy, maybe it's really bright and sunny, but it's so real now. And that's just really stuck with me because it's like, I do think that God can use anybody in any season of life, but man, it feels so much better to be a window than a light, bright. Where it's like, I can just be honest and real and it is what it is now. Like, and so I thought that piece of imagery she shared was just really cool. Yeah, that is remarkable. And from the little bit that I've seen for the short time that our paths have crossed, I would say that definitely I would agree with her as far as you being a window. I love, I love that imagery and I think it's accurate. And I think it's the healthier option for Mm -hmm. everybody because if we're all just running around being light brights, then the expectation is that's what we're supposed to be and that we have to hide all the hard stuff. It's like, oh, it's the Instagram worthy version, Mm -hmm. you know, and that does everybody a disservice. Mm -hmm. That sets Mm -hmm. a false expectation. You know, it's like, that's not real life. That's toxic positivity. That's not real life. How beautiful though, that she shared that with you and that that's what she sees in you. And I second that. (laughs) It was very sweet and and it feels nice to be seen because that is really what my hope is for my platform, for this journey that I'm going on. It's like for so long, I showed up as that light bright of like, oh yeah, I'm just happy. And again, you made comments about that. So I know you get that too of just like, oh yeah, I'm just a happy girl who always has a smile on and who's here to help. And it's like, oh man, that was so exhausting to be that. It feels so good not to have to do it that way anymore. And and even if it is, you know, a bit intense for people, like a lot of people or I shouldn't say a lot of people, but there are people that I come across where it's like, oh, they weren't ready for me to really answer, like, honestly, how I was feeling or, you know, and it's like, I totally get that and honor that. But maybe it's the start of going for them 
oh, that was kind of different and weird, but she seemed really happy. Maybe I'll try that. You know, that's kind of the goal. Right. (laughs) Well, and this is one of the things that it took me a long time to learn. I am not responsible for other people's reactions. That's right. You know, especially in the world of social media, and Mm -hmm. I've been around it for a while now in various versions. In the world of social media, if you put out there genuinely who you are, you're going to eventually attract the people that are similar and the people that need to hear what you have to put out there mm-hmm. and eventually those others fall away mm-hmm. so those people who say oh well I wasn't expecting that and I'm not sure I want to be around here anymore they they sort of self-filter themselves out of the sure. picture not that it doesn't mean you're not going to have those people occasionally or the haters or whatever the mm-hmm. trolls but mm-hmm. I really tried hard not to let those folks get me down yeah. it's like well there's an unfollow button so yeah. use it you know not to be harsh just if that's bothering you I've had a couple of times where with the bariatric cheer squad if somebody's having a really hard time or it recently we had two people back to back that I found out about that had some significant deaths in their families and I did post and it wasn't the oh rah 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 you know so and so is having surgery or having weight loss surgery or having plastic surgery it was two literally back to back the same day you know hey here's members of our community who are having a really hard time they've had a significant loss can you share some love with them and I had somebody message me and say look I need to unfollow you right now because of my own mental health I like what you do and I was like absolutely please take care of yourself and I understand that if this brings you down in any way I want you to do what's best for you Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it because I always want people to do what's best for them and if that means me not being a piece of their puzzle that's that's totally cool I'm here for the folks who need to hear the message that I have. Mm -hmm. I'm here to serve those who are seeking what I have to offer. I have learned not to change what I have to offer. Yeah, based on that, right? I I have learned that if I change what I have to offer, I'm compromising who I am. I'm compromising what I'm called to do. Mm -hmm. And therefore I call people into my life that are not aligned with what I feel called to do. Yeah. So it's like you do you, boo. People say that all the time and they don't realize how smart that actually is because um, you will attract your people if you do you. Totally. And something I've learned and I see this in you as well is that I see my Myself as a mirror. And I think you're a mirror also where sometimes when you reflect who people are, if they're not ready to see that, or they don't like what they see, that's when a lot of those reactions come out. And it, it's not the mirror's fault. But a lot of times those big reactions come from people seeing something in your journey or in yourself. And sometimes that can lead to a lot of big emotions. Definitely. Well, and the interesting thing too, with telling people, the truth in love Mm -hmm. is it depends on your relationship with them too you know it's like Mm -hmm. if it's from your core group of people you know just talking in the online space Mm -hmm. if it's from that core group of people that you know and you trust you receive it differently than if somebody is just dropping a comment or hopping into your DMs you know Mm -hmm. and you can only finesse wording and be gentle and kind so much but you're not helping them if you have 
this insight that you f- you feel drawn to share with them mm-hmm. and you don't share it because yeah. maybe that's yeah. the thing that they needed to hear. Maybe they had the big, big reaction, but then a week later or a month right. later, that seed has been planted and that was the jumping off point for a change in them. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to put it out there and then let God take over. Yep. And yep. yeah, if you genuinely hurt someone and that's an opportunity to work on that, if they're mm-hmm. willing to receive it, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of lessons in there with our personal lives as well as our social media lives because I have had people that I've had to drop some gentle love on them and some insights on things that they had really twisted perceptions about Mm -hmm. and it's like are you real sure about that or do you want to keep that in perspective you know not wording it that way but you know Barry Godmother isn't all about love and and cheer squad and everything too I mean my hashtag I like to use a lot of times is connect and protect. Yeah. You know, we have to connect with one another and protect one another. And a lot of times it is from scammers or people mm, stealing sure. IDs, fake sure. accounts, all that. But sometimes protecting one another means protecting us from mm-hmm. ourselves and mm-hmm. those flawed thinking, those excuses that we've fed mm-hmm. ourselves, those flawed stories or beliefs that we mm-hmm. have about ourselves that we can't help. We've all got blind spots. Yeah. And if I can see something in you and it was a blind spot that you couldn't see, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm obligated to share it in the gentlest way possible, but mm-hmm. to still share it. And then you decide what you're going to do with that information because I've got blind spots too. Yeah. It's like and every coach needs a coach, therapist need therapist, you know. Totally. And and one thing that's helped me for those that are listening that might resonate with that, where maybe you pick up or perceive things that maybe other people don't. I know for me, I used to use that as a way to, again, get validation where it's like, ooh, see, I can be right and tell people what's going on with them. For me, I know that's not a good place to ever approach anything from now. (laughs) So what I try to do too with people is approach them with love and kindness and ask for permission. That's the biggest thing that I've learned in this last year of just because I can pick up and see certain things in people, it doesn't mean that they want to know or that it's, it's my job to share that with them. And again, I think that comes from what we started with talking about how I was trained of like, I need to talk about Jesus. It's my responsibility to convert people, that act of conversion. And so I think that's what played into some of that. But now, even when I pick up on things, I try to use the discernment of, okay, one, do I have a good enough relationship with them to ask them for permission if they want this information? If, yeah, I think that we have a good relationship, then I go to step two of asking them, hey, I see something here. Is this something you want me to share with you? Or are you not in a space where you want to receive that? And oftentimes, I would say probably most of the time people are like, yeah, tell me what, like, what are you talking about? Because maybe because of curiosity. (laughs) But (laughs) that permission piece has helped me so, so much. And again, making sure I'm sharing things with people for the right reasons and and that I'm doing my job of having discernment in that way. That's been really helpful. That's a really good point. And I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, there are going to be people who do not have the capacity to deal with whatever you're going to share with them. Mm-hmm. And then there's some people who don't want to know. And yeah. then there are people yeah. who, if you take that extra step to just make sure you get their permission, you're showing them that you genuinely want what's best for them mm-hmm. and that you're taking them into account. You're not just spitting right. something out on them for them. I've done that. 
that you know. I've done that before and man, it has not worked out very well in certain circumstances. <laughs> and it's all part of that learning process. That's you right. know, we all grow. As we're kind of wrapping up and stuff, I know a lot of people listening are like, I love this lady. Where can I find her? Uh, you mentioned it a little bit in the beginning, but where can people find you if they want to just see more about your journey and story and all that fun stuff? Well, the best place to find me is on Instagram. I am at Barry, B-A-R-I dot Godmother. And that came about because when I got on Instagram almost two years ago, I had a different handle and it didn't feel right. And I was like, eh. And after a couple of months, I found that my role was basically helping folks who were new pre-ops and, mm-hmm. and early post-ops and new to the process. And I just found that I was kind of not mothering them, but trying to mentor and guide them. Yeah. And, and one of those divine downloads, Barry Godmother just popped into my head and uh-huh. it's always fun when people have the reaction like you Shay I had somebody just last <laughs> night on an on a live was like I was just commenting I wasn't even on the live and uh-huh. they, he was like oh my gosh that's the best handle I love it it was one of those things that it was meant to be yes. so eventually my website which is also Barry Godmother everything else doesn't have the dot in it okay and the 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 website is barrygodmother.com I am in the process of updating that so that's under construction right now but eventually that website is going to be a resource hub Mm -hmm. to guide people to a lot of things in the bariatric surgery community that could be helpful podcasts books websites membership communities so that whenever somebody is a new person to the community and I get asked questions oftentimes I can refer them to the website and so I'll be getting permission from all of you like those of you with podcasts and saying hey can I list you on my website yeah and eventually there's also a couple of products down coming down the pike that are in in the works including a bariatric mindset card deck that's in the works so but yeah basically hit me up on insta that's the best place I don't do a whole lot with Facebook I kind of need to make a presence there but yeah insta's where I'm at pretty much daily so more conversations or and and I'd love to have you back anytime you want to come on if absolutely so thank you for we could sit and talk for hours i know i know that's why i'm like i'm needing to cut myself off because i have a million more questions i could ask hey i'm down anytime the schedules sync up i can repeat that's not a problem because as we know now i get paid to talk although i'm not getting paid today sorry (laughs) getting paid in love and friendship hopefully (laughs) there we go as i said earlier monetary payment is not the only currency that's important so but no i don't make any money on very godmother stuff right now it's all done out of love and service and connection and that's been great so and i have just gained a new friend today so thank you shay i adore you absolutely thanks christine Thank you for listening to another episode of the Grow With Shea podcast. When I started sharing my story, it was a steep learning curve and I'm still learning and growing every day. One of the things that has helped me the most in my journey is having coaching and individual support from other people just to offer new insights, new perspectives, and really help me see my blind spots and ways to continue to grow. I'm super excited to offer that to you. 
you. If you want any support with your bariatric journey or maybe in finding your true identity and learning who you were created to be, I am now offering one-on-one coaching. So if you want to explore what that relationship could look like, you can go to stan.store slash grow with Shay and book a free one-on-one virtual chat with me today. Thank you so much for listening and I hope that you remember how worthy, how loved, how valuable you are.